This is Roof English Radio with Darinata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. Hello, this is Roof English Radio. My name is Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company today. On, as we have this conversation, a very cold day in Reykjavik. It's minus two degrees. Uh, just the time to be going to an outdoor museum, an open-air museum at least. And that's where I am, the Albayr open-air museum. I'm with Helga and Stepnir, who are going to guide me around. But before we go outside, I want to start with... I don't know how to describe this. It's the Yule lads that didn't make the cut. So Helga, do you want to guide me through these? Because we are going to be going down to the National Museum on the 12th of December, when the Yule lads will come down from the hills for the first time. We'll be there for their arrival. But I'm in a room here with you just now, um, and there are on the, the walls here displays and information about the Yule lads that, that didn't make it into the final team, I suppose. Who, who are these? Well, actually, as you see here on the walls, we have texts about those who didn't, as you say, make the cut. We have smoke gulper, long splatterer, which doesn't sound more like a Halloween character than a Christmas yeah. Christmas lad. But uh, the clan of the Christmas kind of family is rather large. But there was only these 13 that made the cut, and those are that come down from the mountains one yeah. by one, 12, 13 days before yes. Christmas. And, of course, their mother, their kind of scary mother comes as well. So uh, where have they been hiding then? If, if they don't come down from the mountains, where, where are they? They are in the mountains. They, they stay in yes, the mountains? Yes, they're in the mountains. Okay. But they sometimes, maybe they, we just don't know, but maybe they'll make a little spontaneous visit. I don't yes. know. But the, I understand also from the National Museum that they're adding to their clan of Christmas lads that okay. the Christmas kind of girls the or Christmas Yola Skettler, well. they are coming and kind of... Yeah. demanding the right to be seen and heard. Fair enough. We've got the floor licker, the donut beggar. This one actually seems quite useful, the knot untier. He goes around untying knots yeah. to make mischief, but sometimes you need someone that can yeah, untie knots. He went into the, to the stall where the cows were kept and he untied the kind of that, that kept them in the, in the stalls. And so yes. they went kind of well, <laughs> so okay. probably the farmer wasn't too pleased with that. Well, this isn't, of course, the focus of the open-air museum here at Albayr, but being Christmas-related, it definitely caught my attention. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Christmas. There'll be yeah. Christmas tree up here as yeah. well. Shall we head outside into the open-air here at the Albayr open-air museum? Stepney, you're a guide here. Uh, the museum is not open yet. It will be at one o'clock, but even in the in the dead of winter on a very cold day like this, you'll still get guests coming. I think there are some school groups um, visiting the museum just now. Um, yeah, so uh, we get all kinds of groups here, really. So it's not just guests. It is, of course, an institution of uh, education. So school children do come here uh, in the mornings and uh, sort of learn about our past. Okay, well, we're standing outside now. You can maybe hear the echo has disappeared and you can hear the crunch of cold gravel underground as well. The first building that we're walking past, it's an unusual word here because it's got a Z in it. You don't have that in the Icelandic language. Neslan, what, what is this building? It's actually the name of an exhibition up on the second floor of this building, which is an English consumption. And it kind of guides us through the history of Reykjavik and how and how, in, how we evolved from a kind of tiny little town into the city that we are today. And, you know, how luxury goods started to stream to the island and this became a part of our culture as well. Mm. Well, this is the open-air section or one of the open-air sections that we're in and there are buildings in a square. You also extend down to the left here, don't you? Yes, we yeah. do. Uh, we have uh, 
quite a few more buildings down there. Um, buildings of a different sort, sort really. Um, here in this uh, square, we have sort of more more of the larger buildings, like former institutions. Yes. Whereas uh, down in that direction, it's really more like working class homes and uh, workshops of different kinds. Uh, Where would you like to take us then? We could begin by walking uh, just down there towards a place called the uh, Haupai, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. This open-air museum, as you said, this, this part of it here references the changes in, in Reykjavik, but in Arbair specifically, the district that we're in just now, is this museum about showing how life used to be here? Yeah, part of it uh, is. So the, old, um, the only original building here at the museum is the uh, farmhouse of Arbair, which uh, the neighbour draws its name from. And it's a very popular sort of, uh, you could call it a... Uh, an inn of sorts, like a bed and breakfast uh, for, for a few decades around the turn of the 20th century. And it became very sort of popular uh, with people in Reykjavik. So when it was abandoned in 1948, people uh, uh, sort of wanted to preserve it. And it's sort of the reason why this place ended up being the location of the Open Air Museum. Okay. Well, it definitely has that feel. We're walking past old buildings that, again, to remind me, date back how far the ones that we can see here? Um, so the oldest one, uh, ones you can see, is are the ones at the uh, at the bottom of the hill. Uh, two black uh, old uh, warehouses. Well, one of them is a granary, and another one is a, uh, a slaughterhouse. Uh, but they date to like the early. Uh, 19th century, somewhere around 1820 or so. These buildings, Helga, are, I'll just walk around this side of you here. These buildings are very well preserved, it seems. Yes, this is the, well, they were moved here originally from their original site uh, because they were in danger of kind of disappearing. They were in way of new planning, so to speak. So the idea of an outdoor museum that came originally from Germany and from Scandinavia yeah. uh, uh, reached here to the Iceland and the idea was to, it began with the old farm itself and then around the same time these buildings were kind of losing their kind of status in the centre and were moved up to here and we preserve them here at the museum. And so the museum has been here for how long? Since 1957. 1957. Okay. Here actually you see one of our groups who are learning about Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so they are, This is one of the school groups of some young are, children who are wondering what's going on. The museum teacher with him and they have been out, down at the farm and that's actually the prime place to see the Santa Clauses or the Olasveiner, wouldn't okay. you say Stebner? Because there is all the equipment that they are named after like uh, meat hooker, Kjot Kroker. Yes. The meat is actually hanging on the beam over the okay. open fire. And uh, the window that Glugagayer, or the window peaker, it's actually there. So it's it's kind of livening their imagination and they kind of see this cloud, the, the Christmas lights, even though they can't actually see them. But yeah, you get my. So this is the, the farm around which everything was originally built? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's a bit further in this direction. Uh, okay. uh, to walk a short distance. Um, so it is currently parked from uh, our view by this little uh, lamp house. So that was common in the past. Uh, so ewes were milked more often than uh, cows uh, back in the 19th century and before. So uh, uh, lamps were sort of brought into these little lamp houses. All right, so this, this here is a, a very small building with a, a grass roof, not so much a turf roof, but grass is built up on the top. It's a brick building, a very low building, and this is where lambs would be, you said? Yes, yeah. uh, that's sort of, sort of their purpose. Yeah. But this is what we call a turf house. So yeah. this is not very far from what people would have 
dwelt in as well before. I mean, it looks cosy. It's a very cold day today. Did, did turf work as, as insulation? I, I've spoken to people who actually remember living in a turf house and they said, we, well, we didn't get the colds until we moved into the concrete houses. No. So I don't know. <laughs> but I, I'm afraid there probably was a fair dew of mildew there, but they seem to. This was the only thing that was available at the time. Mm. How well connected was Ardbar to the rest of Reykjavik and other places? I mean, you can hear the main road or one of the main roads just to our left here in days gone by. How easy was it to get from here to other places? It was uh, fairly isolated for a long time. It is a very old farm. The property itself dates to the medieval period. Um, But in around 1880, one of the first sort of highways in Iceland was uh, laid down. And it went from the south of Iceland to Reykjavik, and it went just past the farmhouse of Arbeir. Okay. And that's after that, it became a lot more connected to the city, and uh, uh, it's around that period that the family got the idea to uh, turn their farm into a guest house. And we're coming up on the farm now. Notice, uh, almost looks like a sort of a like a terraced house, except yes. uh, uh, it had these uh, sort of a triangular triangular uh, uh, gabled walls yes. uh, on the end. Maybe original Scandinavian design. Part of it is made of turf and stone and here is the stalls for the cows. So the cows would be in this slightly bigger turf roofed uh, mm-hmm. house. Yeah. And even though it seems very small, you know, I'm not tall, but I have to put, lower my head to get inside. A cow fits here perfectly. <laughs> I know that for a fact. You wouldn't think so, but he slides in perfectly. Well, there's not been one here to try that, has uh, there? Well, oh. we have had for some years, but yeah. in the past, I think, what, eight to ten years, we have not been able to keep a cow. There's not one in there just now? Though. No. Okay, that's fine. But the smell lingers forever. <laughs> mm. Right, so we'll go around the corner here towards the houses that we mentioned and a number of buildings. There's a smaller brown building in front of us here before we turn the corner. What would this this building here have been? So it's worth mentioning, like, not every single building here at the museum has been brought here from someplace else. Um, some of them were built on site, uh, simply as replicas, because, you know, sometimes you want to tell a certain story and uh, there's no other alternative. Uh, this little house we have here is um, uh, a smithy. So there's a forge in there and uh, it still works. So during the summer months and uh, occasional holidays, we uh, open the door, we fi- uh, fire up the forge and we start sort of uh, doing all kinds of blacksmithing. Okay. To show children how people would have... Uh, and now we're opening the museum on the Sunday's 10th of December and the 17th, the 2nd mm-hmm. and 3rd of Sunday's in Advent. And then we're going to have, for example, a blacksmith here showing his trait. Well, that will warm people up as well. Yeah, there's something about fire. People, like, draw to it. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed uh, so. Yeah. And then the museum, the whole museum ground will be open from 1 to 5. And uh, we all dress up in kind of costumes from the past and we get a visit from two of the U lads. We have a special permit. They can't stay away, can they? I know. They have a special permit from Krilas. He's a very, he's a very, <laughs> st- well, what is a, not easy to negotiate, <laughs> but she's going to let them come and they're going to meet the children. We're going to dance around the Christmas tree outside, of course. And uh, then we're going to have people uh, showing how we cut out leaf bread, Yes. And they have a little taste, how we make uh, candles, and uh, maybe a little taste of honkykut, or smoked lamb. Wonderful. And then we're going to have a service in the museum church that's next to the farm itself, where we we are standing now. 
Well, we are standing, as I say, outside the buildings that we mentioned a couple of moments ago. There's, a, there's an invite on the door saying, please step inside. So if we did, can we go inside? Yes. What would we find in here? Here, we'll just enter. We're going to go straight here through a little hall. And so this would have been, and this, this presumably was, a house in which working class people lived. They were sort of like they were tenant farmers, like they didn't know this property. So, uh, yeah, they weren't uh, like uh, the wealthy sort of uh, uh, elite in that sense. But, you know, they, they were reasonably well off. Yes. You know, they made some money from the uh, running the guest house. And uh, we're now located in the, uh, what do you call a, a, a parlor or like a, like a formal living room. Yes. Here you actually see a picture of the ladies who lived here last. Okay. This is Margaret and this is her daughter, Christiana. And when would they have lived here? Uh, they, well, the, uh, Christiana left here in 1948. Yes. And then she moved into Reykjavik. Uh, this feels like it, as you suggest, would have been reasonably comfortable for the time. There's a sideboard here, there's a chest of drawers, there's a nice table, there is decent furniture, it seems. This would have been a relatively comfortable lifestyle that they would have enjoyed here? Oh, yeah, compared to the average per person, uh, certainly. Like... Uh, like this particular section was built in 1891 and like it wasn't like in 1910 half the population of Iceland was still living in turf houses so yes. we're now in a more sort of more slightly more modern wooden section and uh, you know the walls here are painted uh, we tend to take that for granted nowadays but uh, mm -hmm. it really wasn't back then and uh, you know they have a clock that was another sort of quite a sort of a Luxury item. Uh, luxury item. Quite a status symbol, I think, a beautiful yeah. clock as well. We have a good connection with the family of Margaret and Christiana. And for example, this chest of drawers is from them, and we know they told us it stood here in this room. It's beautiful. So we're kind of trying to honor their memory and mm. their family and by displaying the objects from their family as well. And how would a house like this have been heated? There is some kind of heating on just now as we stand in here, but maybe not the method that was used when people lived here. So uh, in this particular section, um, we have uh, just uh, just down a uh, short hallway here. We have um, the kitchen. Okay. And uh, we have, uh, I suppose you'd call it a potbelly stove. Um, it would have been uh, heated with uh, peat at the time, um, which would have provided some warmth. But you know, the walls here are not particularly uh, no. thick, so uh, we know from written records that. Uh, people who stayed here, they would, like on cold winter days, often sort of huddle around the stove for warmth. So the stove that is in here, it's it's original, but it's been modified so that it can be used in 2023. Yes, because we actually, during summer, we on Sundays, we offered people uh, a, like a little called lummer. Mm -hmm. It's like little pancakes. Yep. And we make them here, you know, it's just to the smell and the kind of atmosphere of it. So we actually have put an electric what do you call it, stove or... Yeah, an, an element, element, I think, yeah. maybe, yes. Which yes. we hide now with this big kind of cattle. There's a lot of space in here. I'm quite surprised by that because we've been in one of the rooms, well, two of the rooms now. There's a, this is a bedroom through here, is it? This is for the more, more uh, high-class guests, could we say? Yeah, like a smoking room. Small, yeah. Smoking room. So okay. usually this would be been kept locked because this was called Margretarstova or Margaret's room. And here she would greet, you know, if the priest came or some of would see thought would right. this is the sunday room you could yeah, say or the special room, special room i guess but again there's a lot fine. of space as we say yeah and fine yeah. furniture very fine furniture so we'll go back into the kitchen and to my left there is a staircase or at least a series of steps what would be up here 
So uh, this particular room, uh, we're, so right now we're in the section edited in uh, uh, around uh, 1910. Um, it's essentially a bedroom for guests and for farmhands, so the seasonal workers. Shall we go up? Um, yeah, we, we could. The stairs are a bit steep. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I regretted saying that as soon as I suggested <laughs> okay, it. <I'm> okay. <laughs> Yes, that banister feels a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit wobbly. Okay, we've made it though. So upstairs now, there are two single beds. There's a spinning wheel, and a very obviously a very steep roof because we're right in the very top of the building. Uh, bedrooms tent, uh, were often sort of upstairs uh, back in the day. When heat rises up, people were sort of very designed their houses. Uh, uh, they were when they did, they were very conscious about uh, mm. how to keep warm, and uh, yeah, so that's very very common. Um, you also notice the beds are not particularly big. Um, no. And you'd bang your head on that if you woke up too quickly, wouldn't you? You'd also notice like there are these little sort of uh, cutouts in the sides of the bed. Mm. Um, so these often serve as benches during the day. Yeah, like you'd be sleeping uh, during the night, and you wake up during the day, and you sit up, and uh, you'd you'd get work, maybe working with some wool, for instance. Uh, you know, m making thread and socks and uh, and whatnot. Um, but as small as this bed is, it would um, it would not be unusual for beds of roughly similar size to like have yes. two people sleeping in at the same time, and not necessarily closely related people. The turf houses that were common at the time, um, not many of them survive. Um, but uh, what we do know is that uh, they're often considerably uh, more more cramped than this, and uh, beds are not uh, you know, could very easily be shorter than this. Yes. Um, we tend to take for granted the ability to sort of sleep straight lying down in a bed, but like that really was not something that mm. uh, people back then would have necessarily done very much. All right, I'm going to brave the stairs once again. Would you recommend going down backwards or what's yes, the that's best what way? We usually tell the guests. Okay. Right, we made it back down the stairs. Um, in one piece, in one piece <laughs> it seems. I can see here that you've got framed images of, of these are the patterns that would be cut into the Leuvebruth. What would happen in here? It's called Kames, and it's probably it's the area that they ate together. So uh, this would be the dining room yes. then, and this is not the upper class dining no, room no, that we mentioned no. earlier on. And even before, you know, when the farm, because the farm, uh, it took time to build it, so it was added on in kind of sections. So uh, once they ate at their kind of beds before, so mm. it kind of involved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but actually, here, yeah, we have pictures because. Uh, on these two days that we're open, on the 10th and 17th, uh, we get people to sit here around and cut out leaf bread. And they can, you know, it's it's a delicate work, but you can actually write the word Yol, Christmas in the bread, and get all kind of kind of yeah. patterns that we call like, a, uh, for example, this one is called a, a rose. And then this this is the, the sunlight in December, kind of, the midnight yes. winter sun kind of thing. And then these cakes are deep fried, and then they are the very, very rare delicatessen we have for Christmas, I would say. Well, the Leuvebruth tradition continues, of course, doesn't it? People will still spend yeah. a couple of very happy days in December yeah. making this yeah. bread. I was with my family last Sunday, for example. Okay. Yeah, I'm not as advanced as these pictures show. I'm kind of in, <laughs> in the kind of patterns that are more kind of easy to make, but it's a fun. Mm. Time to spend with your family and yes. talk and laugh and reminisce. And eat. And eat, of course, we eat a lot.
We'll move into a, a darker part of the building. There's another staircase here off to the left. I'm not going to risk that one, but are we getting into an area that connects to where animals would have been kept? I know we've gone past a turf house where there have been cows or would have been cows and lambs, but would animals have been kept in this part of the building as well? Yes. Yeah, we can put the staff there then. So it's much darker down here. There is much less furnishing, I think it is fair to say. A lot of agricultural equipment. What would have happened here? So this is like a, a staple and sort of a general purpose sort of storage room. Now uh, it's a uh, wedding farm is a lot of work, uh, all kinds of different tasks that you have to do, and people would use all kinds of different tools uh, to achieve those tasks. You can see some saddles here mm. that uh, people had, would have uh, ridden on, and uh, yokes. Um, People didn't really use wagons much back in the day. The roads are so few, so almost all cargo was sort of carried on the backs of horses, and you'd put a yoke uh, on the horses uh, to, uh, to put the cargo on. And then you see all these uh, sort of ropes here hang hanging up one beam. Um, these would have been used to tie uh, hay bales together. Just to name a, a few yeah. of the tools in here. That's quite so you don't want that Yule lad that we saw earlier on, the knot untie. You don't want him here causing chaos. I love this room, but no, he's not allowed. <laughs> no. You can untie my headphone uh, cables. <laughs> yes, that but, would be uh, so, yeah. Yeah. but we also use the room to when we're teaching children about Iceland in Gamlata, Iceland out of here, or Iceland in the past. Mm. But this would have been a house also uh, where they would be keep, keeping the cows here and people would sleep upstairs. So there's a smaller kind of, area upstairs. This could have been the living area, and the animals would be kept here down under, and then you would use the heat from the animals kind of to heat up the yes. living area as well. But they always like, oh, my God, what didn't it smell? Really? Yeah, probably it did smell. But it was cosy. It was cosy. How but many people then would have lived in the entirety of this building that we're in? If we use the time of Margaret and Christiana. Uh, Honestly, um, I don't think I could give you an exact figure because the uh, number of people that stayed here varied quite a lot. The farmhands that would come in and out. It could be like... Five to, fif five yeah. to 15. There is a lot of space though, isn't there? It's a lot bigger than it seems from the outside. And you see here the candles that are hanging here? This is part of the Christmas education here. We're teaching the children how to make candles. Okay. So this is kind of kind of... And they're hanging up. Yeah, yes. so that, okay. and we usually made candles the last days before uh, the Christmas itself. And the last, uh, the last Yule lad is called a Candle Beggar. So he was begging for these candles, but we were just, yeah, well, that was because he ate them, because <laughs> they were made of, out of fat, uh, but not today wax. So they yes. were like, oh, really? So that's why he's begging for the candles. But the candles were kind of the most, uh, most important Christmas gift, because mm. part of the Christmas kind of, evening or all the ceremonies around that was that everybody would get a candle and everybody would light it and then the, the, the farm would be lit up so to speak mm -hmm. and that was kind of the holiness and the yes. kind of Christmas all around. So Christmas mattered, Yule mattered here? Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the darkest uh, time of the year in a in very dark buildings like you, uh -huh. you know, to sort of uh, yeah, bring some light into that. Uh, yeah. On a small island, yeah. all yeah. the way in the North Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, it, we are having our conversation at close to midday, so it's as bright as it's going to get really today. But I mean, when it's dark here, when you don't have the lights on, there's no electric lighting mm. happening. It must have felt very isolated. Yeah, you would not have been able to really see a lot of lights in the distance. I have been here in the middle of the winter with all the lights uh, turned off uh, using only like a small kerosene lamp. Yeah. And uh, it makes it sort of really a 
appreciate how, uh, how sort of people must have experienced the real world in an entirely different way. We're so used to lighting. But, but to be here and to go outside and to not see the lights of Brethiolt or, or Arbaia, mm -hmm. to not see those car lights on the, the main roads mm -hmm. going past, mm -hmm. for none of that to be around, mm -hmm. it must have felt very, very different. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. and also kind of mythical. And yes. that's why I think the reason for all these folklore kind of stories come from also from the dark. And a part of this, uh, the idea behind the Christmas lads was that uh, the owners of the farm were maybe hiding that maybe someone actually took the meat and took a bite. Oh, it was just the Christmas lads, so they didn't want to blame someone on the farm for doing, but everybody was hungry and all this food was around. So I have heard that kind of description. Maybe they were kind of, oh, well, let's not talk about... It was just the meat hooker who took it. Yes, uh, yes. So they're, they're useful to have around to blame, aren't you, they? Yes, you can hide behind them forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I can agree with Stebner. I've, I've, I've been here in this building mm. when it's pitch black. You actually can't see your hands. It's so, it's so dark. So a, a candle is a huge, huge thing yes. to have. And we're not quite underground here, oh. but it feels like we're it underground here. Because you see the, the, work, the cladding on the wall. You see the stone and the turf. Yes. And that's a part of it also for people to kind of touch it. So kind of... That's allowed. And through, and through here off to the left, is this uh, more, more of the area where animals would have been? What happened here? Yes, um, but uh, between uh, the storage room and the, uh, uh, and the cattle shed at the end, uh, we have uh, a kitchen, uh, the, the older kitchen uh, here at the, uh, at the farmhouse. And uh, so you'll notice it's an open hearth kitchen, just mm. some stone stacked up. Um, yeah, you would have just uh, uh, lit a fire, um, often using peat. Uh, I think we have uh, compressed and bright uh, sheep dung here. Um, that's what I would have used in the past, uh, at least on this farm. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty smoky fuel. So. Yes, yes. There was a bit of a smell of smoke. That's yeah. not burnt sheep dung, it's is it? Probably also, the, the, as you see here over the beam, there is a uh, lack of lamp, smoked lamb over there, getting ready for Christmas. So, mm. Mm. so that also brings the smell kind of home. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. And again, just to the left, we've got another area where animals would have been yeah. part of the household, yeah. I suppose. And we also tell the children because this was also the warmest place of the house again. Yes. yes. So people would take their Christmas bath in there with the animals. So, and it's kind of just to get them to understand, you know, water didn't run out of a tap. You had to fetch this from the river down below and you didn't change the bath water yeah. <laughs> as many times as we do today. So, Maybe five or six would all bathe from the same water, so they were. So that's also going to get them to understand that mm. things today are and rather, then, rather, rather yeah. easier rather than and, before. And when visitors come here, children as well, particularly, are they surprised by just how quickly Iceland has changed? Because as we said, this house was lived in until 1948, yeah. you know, which is not hundreds of years no, no. ago. Yeah. Are they surprised? Are visitors surprised by the the, the pace of change? If I, if I can talk for the children, maybe you for the general guest here. Uh, the children, for them, there's, you know, they look at me and say, are you from the old days? So they're <laughs> What do you say? Of, I was like, yes, I'm <laughs> really old. So they're kind of, con uh, well, understanding of what is old is kind of, yeah, yes. not the same. So for them, mm -hmm. I'm from the old days. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, um, well, I think it's kind of, when they understand that water doesn't all come from a tap, it's yeah. kind of, and they have to, sometimes it's also good to see it and feel it and smell it and touch it. 
other than reading it from a book or from hearing it from a teacher. So I think mm -hmm. that helps by uh, visiting to a museum like ours mm -hmm. to kind of get this in the subconscious kind of, mm -hmm. of their yeah. life. <laughs> and did you find that with adult visitors as well, that they are surprised by just how much things have changed, how quickly? Yeah, particularly like with um, European visitors, because uh, we industrialized a lot later than the rest of Europe. Yes, yes. Um, so I tell them sometimes just uh, stories from my own grandmother who was born in uh, 1927 in a turf house. And uh, like uh, I sort of uh, sort of uh, uh, relay stories from her to them and they're, they're just amazed because like uh, um, my grandmother sees, sees a, an airplane for the first time in 1940. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was living in turf, yeah, just like almost exactly like the one we're standing in right now, just uh, told me stories of... Um, uh, when she got a, a coal-fired stove for the first time, yes, like like as a fully grown woman, um, and yeah, a lot of European visitors are pretty surprised by this. Um, people like from say parts of Eastern Asia and to North America, like their their history of development is also a bit sort of yes. short like ours. Yeah. And and how lucky we are to have this in this state, as well preserved as it is. It's a real treasure, isn't it, yeah. to be able to come and see and feel, as you say, smell and touch the yeah, history. Right. Because I think they had a very good foresight, those who founded the museum. But the reason why they started the museum was because they thought people of Iceland were losing touch with the yeah. old Iceland, if you could, so, so to speak. So we're always battling the same kind of thing, you know, trying, you know, your past is your past, you know, we, we learn from it to hopefully move to a better place. Mm. So I think it's a jewel in the landscape of Reykjavik. Without Aren't question. I being poetic? <laughs> <laughs> well, we passed some of the other buildings, of course, on the way here, which give visitors even more of a sense of how things used to be. But this, this really does feel like the centrepiece of the museum. This really does feel as if where the, the greatest amount of history yeah. is concentrated, I suppose. And also because it's the only house that's an original site. Yes. Everything else has been moved. So that's why we kind of, it's nearest, nearest to our heart, I think. I don't know what you think, Stavlis. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I agree. You know, uh, some of the other buildings, like they have a particular history that is sort of tied to their original location. Like there's a, uh, a, f a fisherman's house uh, uh, back in the sort of the working class uh, area of the museum, um, which, uh, well, was located right next to the coast. Um, and uh, so people come to this uh, fisherman's house and they see mm. like dried fish and they see uh, a winch or dragging boats ashore, but like we're miles away from the, yes. kilometers away from yeah, the yeah. Uh, coast. Yeah. So uh, that's sort of uh, often sort of missing from the, those houses. But like this one, like you walk outside, you see the meadows and like the people that live there, they worked uh, these meadows. Like they yes. were outside with size, uh, mm. cutting grass for the, for the yeah. winter. So uh, uh, yeah, that definitely sort of uh, gives this uh, house a bit more of uh, what do you call it? Like a, like a particular presence that other yes. houses sort of may, may lack here. Yeah. And, and they're probably all around us still. Yes. I think Margaret yes. is standing there like, oh my God, are they never going to stop? <laughs> Will they ever stop talking? <laughs> probably not. No. Aren't they going to work? <laughs> it's a great place to be as well because you are more or less in the heart of the city or certainly in the, in the heart of an urban area yeah, and you've got all this fresh air. Yeah, we say we're about 20 minutes away. From the city centre. Not far at all. Well, listen, thank you both very much indeed for showing me this part. Um, as we said, there is much else to explore here as well at the Albar Open Air Museum. Yes. It is about 50 minutes away from opening time. Yes. 1st of December as we have our conversation. Yeah. Will it be busy today? I mean, do you get visitors right through the winter? Yes, we get right through the winter. And actually today, because this is a kind of big day in Icelandic history, we became 
uh, kind of ruled ourselves mm. on the, from this the first. This was the Home Rule Day. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So we're actually having a celebration today. So it's a busy day. It's a busy, busy day. Night today, yes. and then of course on the tenth and seventeenth, I would you know encourage everyone to come and visit us for yes. Christmas. Can I immerse themselves in our Christmas spirit? Fantastic. Well, I can feel the Christmas spirit already, yeah. without question. Thank you both very much indeed. Oh, thank you for coming. It's Ruve English Radio. I'm Darren Adam, and you can get in touch with us anytime. We are English at ruv.is. There is more from Ruve English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English. Ruve English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Ruve.